Good morning, everybody. Yeah, forgive me for a second here why I gather my uh, notes. And so great to see you. Happy Father's Day to all of you men in the house and that are watching online. Appreciate you so much. And, you know, one thing this, uh, as I was getting ready uh, this week, and I almost wanted to run up and take off my guitar and just start pounding on Kyle because he was preaching my sermon this morning. I don't know if you heard his testimony. And he actually used the word legacy in referencing to his father. And I'm like, man, we'll just go. We can go home then after we get done singing, I guess. But, yeah, but he kind of stole my sermon. But thank you for that beautiful testimony about your father. You know, but Father's Day is an interesting holiday. And by the way, I watched myself a little bit. I don't do this much, but last time I preached. And, man, I noticed how much I move all over this sanctuary. And I don't, like, I don't know, it just gets like fire in my bones, and I just want to move all over the place. And, but I mentioned to Brother Kyle, because I think he was running media one time, I thought, well, if I could get a pair of suspenders and literally attach myself to the podium, then maybe that would be a good way to just stay right here. And he thought that was a really good idea. I was joking, but he thought, yeah, maybe we should do that. But, you know, society doesn't really give fathers that much credit. I'm just going to be real, like, or at least from the way my perspective sometimes. There's amazing fathers. There's amazing fathers here. There's amazing fathers all over the world. But if you watch media, and especially Hollywood, don't they have a funny way of twisting men? Like, you see these sitcoms, and I know they're meant to be funny, but at the end of the day, what are they really doing to men and masculinity? They're making us look silly a bit, stupid, incompetent. And that irritates me. You know, I just irritates me. And by the way, listen, you know, Father's Day gets a bad rap all in all. Because I want to share with you just something before we get started today. Is when it comes to holidays, can anybody here guess what the number one holiday is across the world? Christmas is number one. Guess what number two is? Somebody said it. Mother's Day. Now, there's, I had to look this up, right? So I'm looking, and there's all these different reports. But nonetheless, the greatest that a father can do in a holiday is six. We're the sixth best celebrated holiday. At one point, I got really depressed because at one point, we were 15th. We were the 15th most celebrated holiday. Do you know what that means, men? That Arbor Day was more celebrated than men. Planting trees was more celebrated than men and men of God. That's a problem. Has anybody even here planted a tree this year in the building? Is there one person? Okay. Barry. <laughs> okay. That's no. Listen, I love trees. I love going hiking. But I'm like, how many people are really celebrating Arbor Day? <laughs> no, we don't do it, right? So we get a bad rap, right? But today, as Kyle had mentioned this morning, I want to talk about a father's legacy. And at the end of the day, what will be said to you and about you. Hear those words. What will be said to you and about you. So I'm going to do something real quick. My father's here today, so if he would stand up. This is my dad. Yay, happy Father's Day. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Sorry. 
So this is my son in the black shirt, which was on purpose this morning because he sweats. Luckily, you can't see his knees because they're as black as his shirt right now. And if you can see right here on Olivia, if you'll just hold your hand up, Olivia, in her arms is Ezekiel. That's my grandson. There's four generations. That's pretty cool. There's many of you that have that same testimony. But I want to read to you a story today about legacy. You guys can sit down. Thank you. I also wanted to just notice that my brother-in-law is here in the back and my nephew, Brody. They're here this morning. So thank you for coming. But I want to read to you a story this morning. Has anybody ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? Anybody ever heard that name? Some of you. He's a great scholar, an amazing man. And he had a powerful legacy. But what is legacy? What do you think of when I say that word to you this morning? Some of you probably thought of things or something. What could I leave or what was left to me, you know? Some, some people, when they die, they'll leave things to their children or whatever. And I'm, that's probably pretty cool, right? You know, dad had a 67 Corvette, you know, and he left me the keys. That'd be cool. Anybody have a 67 Corvette they want to leave me? Nobody, all right. You know, but shotguns, money, and all that stuff. But that's not what legacy is. That's not legacy this morning. So listen. How we will live will influence our children and the descend our descendants for generations. So I'm going to share with you this morning this story about two men. Actually, more than that, but in this story, two men. So we said it was Jonathan Edwards. So Jonathan Edwards was born in 1703 in East Windsor, Connecticut. He attended Yale University at the age of 13. Hello. Yeah. He attended Yale University, at, I about fell over, at the age of 13. I didn't even know you could get into college at 13. They weren't going to let me in at 20. And later we went to serve, <laughs> he later went on to serve as president of a college in New Jersey that we know now as Princeton University. When he was just 20 years old, he wrote a list of personal resolutions and listened to this church. Among them was this, ask myself at the end of every day, what could I have possibly in any respect have done better? In no other area was Edwards resolved stronger than his role as a father. So Jonathan and his wife Sarah had 11 children. How many here have 11 children this morning? Anybody? Nobody has. The Duggars aren't here this morning. So him and his wife had 11 children, and despite his rigorous work schedule that included rising as early as 4.30, to read and to write in his library. He had extensive travels, endless administrative meetings, but he always made time for his children. Indeed, he committed at least one hour a day to spending time with his kids in the midst of his busy schedule. And if he couldn't make it because of travel, he diligently made up the hour when he returned. Numerous books have been written about Edwards' life, his work, and his influence on American history and his powerful profession, professional legacy. But the legacy that Edwards would probably be most proud of is the legacy that he left as a father. 
the scholar Benjamin B. Warfield of Princeton charted this, listen to this legacy that was left behind by this amazing man. If you don't hear anything else, listen to what Jonathan Edwards and his legacy. So again, Benjamin Warfield of Princeton University charted this about Jonathan Edwards. There are 1,394 known descendants of Edwards. How many? Right, just making sure you're paying attention. And what Benjamin found was this incredible testament to Jonathan Edward. Of his known descendants, there are 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 pastors, 60 authors of prominence, three United States senators, 80 public servants in other capacities, including government and ministries to foreign countries, and one vice president of the United States of America. The story of Jonathan Edwards is an incredible example. And listen, we're going to say something here. Sociologists call that there's a five-generation rule. We almost hit that this morning with four. Hopefully we don't hit five anytime soon. That was a joke. How a parent raises their child, they love to give the values and teach, and they love to have emotional support. But the education that they provide influences not only their children, but the four generations to follow. What fathers do, in other words, will reach through the next five generations, just as we saw in the example of Jonathan Edwards. But the five-generation rule doesn't go just for the good. It can go either way. So there's an interesting story. There was a predecessor, or excuse me, really a colleague of Edwards, and his name is Jukes. And Benjamin Warfail also charted his thing because it was around the same time that Edwards was uh, the president of Princeton. And so here were two like men serving in like capacities. The only problem was is Jukes had a little problem. He liked to drink a lot. And even at uh, the urging of Edwards to stop and get a hold of himself, um, he couldn't ever get past that. And of the 540 traceable ancestors that they could find of Jukes, 310 of them died as paupers. At least 150 were criminals, including seven murderers and more than 100 alcoholics. And half of his female descendants ended up as prostitutes. Now, I read that, and that sounds discouraging. I'm like, I don't want to read that. That's going to leave everybody. But you know what I heard in the midst of thinking of legacy? I heard a man in my head. And he said, but God. You see, that's not where that story has to stay. This is a sociological experiment where they looked back and saw what they did. But when God's involved in the picture of any father, the story looks so much different. You know, and there's a scripture in Matthew 25, 23. And when it comes down to no matter what was being said about Jonathan Edwards or Mr. Jukes, there's something that all men, 
or women, when you stand before your heavenly Father that you want to hear. And the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling these small things, and I'm going to make you ruler over much. But what's being said of you? As we've read the story about Jonathan Edwards and Mr. Jukes, think for a moment, men of God, what's going to be said about you when the time comes and you're no longer here on earth? What will your children say about you? What were your children's children down to the fourth and fifth generation? What will be being said about you after you're long gone? You see, the 67 Corvette would be cool, right? I can see myself in there already with the top down. Oh, yeah, by the way, it's a convertible, <laughs> at least in my dream. And the top's down, you know? And that would be cool. But someday, that beautiful Corvette is going to rust. And it's going to get to the point where somebody's just going to say, it's just not worth it anymore to keep this thing going or try to restore that Corvette that my dad left me. But you know, growing up as a young man, I saw something. And I was thinking about this message and some things that I remember about my family when we're talking about legacy. My grandparents both lived in Southern Ohio, both sets of them. One lived in McConnellsville, the other ones lived in Caddis, the Steubenville area, if you don't know where, where that is. And I remember taking these trips that seemed like six hours to get there. It was probably, what, three, I don't know, three and a half. But seemed like sick as a kid. And the first thing I would say out of my mouth, by the way, is, where are we eating? It was always the first word out of my mouth. Where are we eating, Dad? I haven't even left the driveway, son, so I know food's in my DNA. But I remember waking up, right, we'd get down there, and the next morning we would wake up. And this is the memory that I have. I always remember my grandfather being in a small room in their house. And he always had his Bible. He was always reading. And he was always praying. Then I could begin to see where my dad would do the same thing. My dad would always escape to a room. And he was always praying, was always reading. And sometimes he would do this crazy thing. I don't recommend this all the time, but he would put on these headphones. I think he knows where I'm going. He'd begin to sing. Now, if you're a great singer, and you sing with headphones on, sometimes you can't really hear how good you're singing, even if you're an amazing singer, right? Everybody understand that? But if you're not even a good singer, wow. Wow. My dad, by his own admission, so I'm not, he did not get blessed in the area of singing, right? And so I remember, but he didn't care. It wasn't about how he sounded. And that was the legacy that began to be instilled in me, right? I remember other things from my other grandpa, like, these are things that are instilled when we're talking about legacy and get instilled us, even a bit unknowingly. Like, I wasn't aware, like that, at that young age, seeing my grandpa and my dad do these things, like, ooh, I want to do that. Like, it wasn't like that. I wish I could tell you that it was, but yet it was being instilled in me by what I was seeing and what I was hearing. What I was seeing, what I'm hearing, we're going to come back to that. You're going to understand why in a moment. But my other grandfather, there were some other things that were instilled in me. Like, I remember at a young age, my... My grandfather, who was a mechanic at the time, would get up super early in the morning to go to the shop, and he would sit at the table, and I don't remember if Grandma was up or not, and it doesn't matter, but there would be a bowl of coffee, not a cup of coffee, 
a bowl, right? So if you're older, you might begin to understand this because it has to do with the Great Depression. But there was a bowl of coffee sitting before him, and it had cream and sugar in it. Now, this is where some of you are going to get grossed out. He would take bread, and he would rip the bread open, right? And he would put it in the bowl. It would soak up the coffee, and he would eat it. And if I would happen to wake up in the morning, one of my most favorite things to do was to go sit on his lap and drink the coffee and that nasty, <laughs> soggy bread. It wasn't even great. The coffee tasted great to me, and if you know me, I've got a coffee that's still back there, and it's half full, and I wish I could have it sitting right here right now. I love coffee, but the soggy bread I couldn't let mine. But what, that wasn't what was being instilled in me. Is my grandfather was getting up, going to work. He was teaching me, not even intentionally. He was just doing what he knew to do because that's what his father did. Going to work and providing for the woman that he loved and for the daughter that he loved. And my dad showed me those same characteristics. I began to see these things and they begin to get instilled in you. You see, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you're leaving something behind even right now. You don't have to be dead and gone to say, what is my legacy? You're creating legacy right now in this moment. So men of God and women of God, what is being said about you in this moment right now? Why do we need to wait until we're gone? You see, I think Kyle said that he had this awesome privilege of growing up and having this amazing father. And that's not everybody's testimony. And I understand that. But God, you may be in the worst father in the world. And listen, I have a story to tell you before we go to our next scripture. There was a young man. That he was a bit of a hellion and he grew up. And he got married. And he was not a nice man. He was not nice to his wife. He was not nice to his children. And to make a super long story short, at the end of the day, this man gets strung out on drugs. He becomes addicted. He loses his wife. Loses, you know, relationship with his kids. But God, in a moment, changed his heart. And he said, God, I don't want that to be my story or his legacy. And so he went and he asked forgiveness, first of all, to God. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I've made a mess of this. But if you'll change me, Lord, I'll walk and I'll live for you. So he went and apologized to his wife. I would love to tell you that they got back together. They did not. But she forgave him. And they get along today. And he went to his kids and restored those relationships with his kids. And he actually now serves as a pastor of a church. And that's amazing testimony to what God can do if maybe you're in that situation. Like, Jim, I hear you talking about this morning all these great things, but that isn't my story. You know, if it's not your story, and even if your dad was really rough, and maybe not the greatest dad, your heavenly father is not that way. You see, that's not the way it works. Our earthly father is not the reflection of the heavenly father. Our heavenly father is trying to be a reflection into us earthly fathers. And that's the legacy that we want to leave behind.
You know, life sometimes is hard. And it's hard to be a man. And this thing, we talked about it at the beginning. It's hard sometimes with all the chaos. And I'm sure it's the same way being a woman. There's so much confusion, and they're trying to identify us. They're trying to tell us what we should be or what we should look like, how we should act. There's only one thing as Christians that has that right. There's only one thing, the Word of God. Our Father gets to tell us who we are as sons and daughters. I want you to turn, if you brought your Bibles this morning, or if you got your phones, I want you to turn to Mark 14. I'm going to read 32 through 36 in the New Living Translation. It'll be on the board. If you didn't bring your Bible, it's okay. I read from the screen too. And you're probably wondering, as you get close to the scripture this morning, what in the world does this have to do with legacy? But we'll tie it together, I promise, in the end. So Mark 14, 32 through 36 says this. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, but stay here and keep watch with me. And then he went on a little farther, and he fell to the ground. Now, why was Jesus so depressed right now and discouraged and distraught? Anybody remember this story? What was that? He's about to go to the cross. Now, was it just Jesus' idea to go to the cross? Was he just walking down the prodigal road one day? I think I'd like to do this thing. Go to the cross. Whose idea was the cross? Father. And can you imagine? Can you imagine asking your son, like, I need you to do this. This law thing isn't working out. They can't keep the law. There's no way they're ever going to be able to get to heaven. Well, there is one way. There's one way. But it's going to cost you something. And it's going to cost me something great. But here he is. He's distraught. He knows he's got to go to the cross. So that we can have this relationship with him, right? It says that he went on a little farther and he fell to the ground. And he prays this. He says, if it's possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. He cries out and listen to this church. He says, Abba, Father, he cries out. Everything is possible for you. But please, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. I've read that story a thousand times. And I'm so thankful for it. But when I read it this time, two words stood out to me. Abba, Father. Why in the midst of distress is Jesus crying, Abba, Father? Why is he using an Aramaic word in Abba? And a Greek word, and father. Why? You know, we talk about Abba, and we know it as a term of intimacy, right? A lot of times, many of us associate this word with daddy. Daddy. 
But why would he say daddy, daddy, or father, father, when he's about to go to the cross? I read an article this week from a pastor who was studying this very thing about Abba Father. And listen to what he had to say. He was studying this out and he had to make an impromptu trip to Israel. And so he catches a flight to Tel Aviv. And as the plane arrives, as most of us, that's a long flight. I don't know how long it is to Tel Aviv, but it's a long flight from here. He had to go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> so he goes to the bathroom. But while he's in the bathroom, he has an encounter. And he sees a Jewish man and a Jewish son in there washing their hands. And as they're washing their hands, he notices that the kid is being a bit fussy and not really doing what his father is asking him to do. And so they're, they're having some words and some banter. They're speaking English, by the way. So the gentleman knows everything they're saying and can understand it. And in a moment, after this chaos continues and the son is not really using soap and he's not getting the water and he does, doesn't know what to do with the hand dryer, and they fuss a bit, he shows them Here's the soap, here's the water, here's the hand dryer. And he begins to fuss again. And he held up his finger in that moment because the kid said, Daddy, Daddy. He said, don't call me Daddy. Sounds rude almost, right? I love being called Daddy. But he tells his son, call me Abba. This is a Jewish thing in a Jewish culture. The same thing we have going on here, an Aramaic word rooted next to a Greek word. But why did he ask his son in that moment to not call him daddy, but to call him Abba? How many men here have ever asked your son <laughs> to call you Abba and not the rock group, Abba? And all of you who are laughing, I know what you listen to now. How many... I've never once asked Evan. I have given him multiple nicknames, Ed being one of them. So if you ever hear me call him Ed, that's not his name. His name is Evan. But one day we were working together, and it just came out. And so occasionally I call Evan Ed. I don't know why. But why in the world, in a bathroom, would this father ask his son to call him Abba? The gentleman that wrote this article got brave enough to ask the same question. So as they were about to leave the bathroom, he said, can I talk to you outside? I said, sure. And he asked the gentleman, he said, you know, I'm studying these words back home about Abba, Father. You know, in the New Testament, it's only even said three times, one of them, interestingly enough, in Romans 8, which we're about to read, we didn't get to. But maybe this will bring some light to that on our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. If you'd like to come, you're all welcome. There's my commercial for that. But he asked the gentleman, and he says, why did you tell your son to not call you daddy, but to call you Abba? So he said, that's a great question. He says, but in our culture, he said, Abba is an, a term that probably most Americans don't totally understand and they don't totally grasp because he said it actually has a duplicitous, 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 I don't know how to spell that, 
has two meanings. I was hoping to use the big word for big bonus points in my Scrabble score later. But it has two meanings. But you can't have one without the other in Abba. He said you can't use one with Abba and it's okay and use this one and it's okay. You can never do that when he said using Abba. And he said Abba means probably what you already think it means. He said it does mean father and daddy, a place of intimacy. But here's where the hook is in this phrase. He says Abba also means I will obey. So now you can put together why in the restroom, don't call me daddy, call me Abba. I will obey. And that's why Jesus said, Abba, Father. He didn't want to do that. This is what I love about Jesus. There's so much realness going on here. Sometimes we get this big infatuation that Jesus was this massive thing that we can never have any understanding of who he was, but he's being so real here in this moment. He leaves the disciples. He takes three of them with him, and then all of a sudden, those three that he took with him, they're asleep. They decided to take a nap. This guy's about to go to the cross, and they're sleeping. And he's crying out, Abba, Father. So he already said what he says at the end in the statement when he cried out, Abba, Father, because what he's saying, Daddy, I know you love me, and we have this great relationship, and I trust you, but I will obey. And that's when he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And you know the rest of the story, and he goes on to endure the cross. But when we think about legacy this morning, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a people pleaser. And sometimes it's to a fault, if I can be real. Because being a people pleaser isn't always a good thing, because you're always wanting everybody to be happy with you. And then you're not okay if they're not. And that's not a good way to live. And that's taken a long time to journey through that. But as any young man, I always wanted the approval of my father. Always. Any men agree? Like, didn't you always want your dad to be proud of you? Listen, there's a great testimony of one time for me. And so I'm, I had graduated. I know that's probably hard for some of you to understand. I did graduate high school, though, I promise you. I got the diploma somewhere shoved in a drawer. But we're having my graduation party, right? And so my dad, that day of in the morning, grabbed me and said, come on, get in the car. I don't even know if he remembers this. But it impacted my life in such a way. Because, see, I'd already made a decision on what I was wanting to do. I graduated high school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But yet at the same time, I kind of did. You see, in those same hills of southern Ohio, I found myself one time at my grandparents' house standing amongst trees, and I'm preaching at the trees. You've heard the story before. This is a young man doing what I saw. For some reason, it stuck with me. And loving on people and caring for them and wanting to see the best in them and getting the best out of them so that they could go on and hear well done, thy good and faithful servant. But in that morning, my dad picks me up, right? He says, let's go. And it was early in the morning, beautiful day. It's, you know, it's June. Sun's out. 
He takes me to an awesome breakfast place. McDonald's. We don't even stay at McDonald's. We don't stay at McDonald's. We get it to go. Yeah, we're going to go through the drive-thru. Like, what is my dad up to while in the world? You could have went to the drive-thru, Dad, and you could have brought me my egg McMuffin. Anyway, we get it. We go through the drive-thru, and we end up at Faroque Park. We're sitting at a picnic table. And that morning, my dad told me something. He said, I'm so proud of you, and I love you so much. And you have all the support in the world as you journey on to go to Youth with a Mission. You see, that's what I wanted to do. Because I didn't know if I wanted to go to college. I didn't know if I wanted to jump right into the workforce. But I knew one thing. I wanted to know more about God. And that was a place that I could do it. And so he did. He blessed me. And they provided the way so that I could go to Youth with a Mission. You know, sometimes life has funny curves in the midst of having your father's approval. I also remember a time when things were falling apart in my life. And I found myself at a doorstep of an ugly place in the midst of a divorce. Um, not good with money. And I find myself sitting in a chair at the bank. And they want to take my car. Now, legitimately... I will say, when you don't make the payments on a car, there are consequences, right? They're going to come get it eventually. But listen to this. It was a terrible day, right? My life is falling apart. My dad wasn't able to be there, but he's on the phone because he's the co-signer on the loan. He says, listen, do you want the car? You duh. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, but I remember these words coming out. He's like, man, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. He said, that's not what I asked you. He said, do you want the car? Because you see, I didn't deserve the car. Right? I wasn't paying the payments. I wasn't being a good steward. I wasn't being any of those things. I did not deserve that car. But then all he said was, Next thing I know, the banker said a few things, they hung up the phone, and it was done. Does that remind you of anything? You see, I don't deserve anything. I didn't deserve the car. Certainly the way I live my life at times, I didn't deserve the grace of Jesus Christ either. Or to be loved, or to be saved. But in the scripture, it says, even while you were dead in trespasses and sin, God still loved you and he still died for you. What I love about that, and you've heard me say this before, what I love about it is that on my worst day at the bank, God loved me just like I saw in my father. On my worst day, do me, a, do me something right now. Everybody in this place with your eyes on me. What was your worst day in your mind? You think about it. What was your worst day? I want to tell you something. That God loved you on that day. 
I want you to do something else while you're sitting there with your eyes closed. What was your, one of your best days? I know you probably got a top five or a top ten list. But what is it? But what is it? Guess what? God loves you then. You see, God's love isn't separated by what you do or don't do. It's the simple fact that he loves you. But there's an underlying condition to the legacy that Jesus left behind. And this is where it gets hard. Abba, Father. You know, Pastor Damien's been talking about the spiritual life. I think I've been calling it the Christ life, and my wife keeps telling me, that's not what it's called. It's called the spiritual life. Isn't it the same thing, Christ life? Anyway, this morning he was giving me an encouragement or whatever, and he used the word Christ man this morning and not spiritual man. So I'm like, yeah. I'm going to say that from the pulpit even though I'm not supposed to. That's the top ten things that you never do when you're preaching. Probably get away with that one. I remember when Evan was young. I know I'm telling a lot of stories, and we're going to get back to the scripture. We're going to tie this up, and then you can go home and eat barbecue or steak. What do men eat? I got to stop talking about that. By the way, we have smoked pulled pork at my house today. When Evan was a young man, actually, he wasn't a young man. He was a young kid. He was being fussy one night. He was up in his room, and he was doing anything but listening. I mean, anything. You know, how many, how many fathers or mothers we got when you're dealing with a kid, and they just don't listen? Doesn't that make you happy? <laughs> Woo! Now, I don't consider myself to be an angry person. I really not. I'm pretty go with the flow. I mean, I can get angry, but it takes a lot to get me worked up. But that evening, I don't even remember what it, he was doing. And it doesn't even matter, really. But he wasn't listening. I do remember that. And I remember going up and trying to talk to him. And the next thing I know, I'm yelling at him. Because that always helps, right? To scream at him. That, that does wonders. So I must have been, I remember getting red-faced. I mean, I'm, I'm getting heated. And he's just resisting everything I'm doing. Every last thing. And I remember grabbing hold of him. So this is to a bit of embarrassment. I remember grabbing hold of him. And I'm like, this is, might have been one of the stupidest things I've ever said. But now I just want to take you outside and beat you. I just told him that to his face. But I meant it. Like, we laughed about it right now. But I was, I was ready to lay in that kid. But in a moment... What in the world is that? I remember letting go of him and just stepping back. And I left the room, and I went to my room, and I remember crying. I remember having to go back in then because my heavenly father said, you need to go apologize to him. So I went back in, and I apologized to him. I hope he doesn't remember that story. <laughs> I remember it. Because I'm like, God, I don't want that to be the thing that he remembers about me as an angry father. And get, don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not a perfect father. I've made 
bazillions of mistakes, and I'm sure I'm going to make some more. But my heart's desire for him is because when he came to me at one time as a young man and he was struggling with some things about work, he had multiple jobs and he had a beautiful fiance and it was just taking every ounce of his energy to keep things going and afloat and he was beginning to do what a lot of us men do at times. We take things into our own hands instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. So he began to ask me, he's like, I don't know what to do. I, I feel like I want to do this and that. He's like, what should I do? And I'm like, I said, at the end of the day, I only know one thing to tell you. Is that if you seek his kingdom and his will first, he will never, ever let you down. And you'll never be disappointed that you did that. He wasn't in distress. But he was crying out, Abba, Father, in the midst of that. Daddy, I will listen and obey. And guess what he did? He stopped asking dad for advice. And he asked his daddy, his heavenly daddy, for advice. And the long story short of that is God took care of it. The two and three jobs he was having to work all of a sudden became one. The kids that he could never have, all of a sudden there's soon to be three. <laughs> you see, we have this relationship, and all of a sudden, the legacy that I hoped I would leave, he now has opportunity to leave to his son. And here's the thing, this is my physical son. But right now, you're all watching me in this room. And on other days, you can come to work and you can watch me. And you're, I'm leaving a legacy. You see, there's some things I know about some of you just simply by being around you. One thing, my brother-in-law in the back, he's an amazing carpenter. He comes to my house and says, why did you do that like that? I don't know, it was the tool. <laughs> I did the thing and it didn't work out. You know? Now he doesn't really, he doesn't do that. I mean, he could, and he probably should teach me a few things. But he's an amazing carpenter. And I know we've talked about a lot of stories, but you see how all these stories tie back to Abba Father. Scott is an amazing dad himself. Got dealt a deck of cards that he probably wouldn't have wished when he was a young man. But instead of laying down those cards and folding, he just kept walking. And he kept loving his sons like any good father. And I'm just so proud that he's here today. And I'm glad that my nephew is here today. And I'm humbled to have the privilege to stand before you. But it wouldn't do this little bit of a message as we close to leave you with just talking about legacy because what's being said about you or what somebody will say about you maybe at your funeral or when they're driving around in their 67 Corvette that you left them won't matter I said won't matter till a hill of beans on the day when you stand before your heavenly father 
And you see at that point, all the legacy that you think that you live out or are living out intentionally or unintentionally will not matter at all. Charles Studd penned a poem. I thought this was a scripture. Anybody ever do that? You think something's a scripture, and you're like hunting all over, man. I'm like Googling this thing. It's in here. I know it's in here. I spent 15 minutes looking for this scripture only to find out, man, that's not even a scripture. Epic pastor failure moment right there. It's a poem. Charles Studd, he pens this poem, right? And it's a, it's a longer poem, but there's one line that we all know from this poem. And it says, only one life will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. You see, we can work and we can strive to leave a legacy of all these things. And I think they're good. Those things aren't bad. To teach your sons how to work hard, to be good carpenters, to how to love their wives or how to love people. Those things are all important. But at the end of the day, if I don't have the opportunity to leave a legacy to show my children and point them to the Heavenly Father, what good is it in the end if I stand before my Heavenly Father and none of you or none of them are around me? What good does it say if he says, well done to me, but I never wanted to pass that along? You see, as a pastor, my heart for you is that you would know the one true Father. Whether you have a good relationship with your earthly father or you don't, it's the only thing in the end, like Charles Studd was trying to convey to us, that only the things that we do for Christ is what's going to matter in the end. And so today I ask you this question. You can come. She's like, I don't know, do I come? I like to make fun of jokes. I know we're in a serious moment. It's okay. But at the end of the day, you have to know in your heart where you stand with your Heavenly Father. And I know many of us are probably saved, and it doesn't matter today whether you're a father, you're a mother, uh, whether you're male, female, or any of those things. We're all, everybody say all. We're all going to have to stand before Jesus one day and give an account to the life that we lived. And so I want to ask you a question Regardless of the legacy that you have left behind or the one that maybe you'll think, I'm going to change that. God, will you help me? When you get to heaven and you see your heavenly father standing, you see at the beginning the title was what's being said about you or what will be said to you. What will the heavenly father say to you? Will he open his arms and look at you with a smile on his face? Will he say, well done. And you ran an incredible race. Come on. Or will he say the words that many of us never want to hear? Depart from me, I never knew you. See, you can't call somebody Abba Father that you don't know. Abba Father is that place of intimacy and obedience. But when you have lived a life and you've given your all to Jesus, that's when you can stare him in the face and you can look at him and say, Abba Father, I love you and I know you love me. And I did all I could to obey you. And that's when he'll receive you. So with every eye closed just for this moment, 
God, I thank you that you love us so much. And just we talked about that you love us on our best day and you loved us on our worst day. And what a reason to celebrate, Jesus. What a reason to celebrate, Father, that you would love us regardless. You just do. We don't have to earn our way. We don't have to read enough Bible verses. We don't have to pray 400 times a day to be saved. We just have to come to you and repent and ask for your forgiveness. And you can do that this morning. So if you're here this morning and you've never done that, or maybe you've done it in the past, maybe you're just not sure. Like, man, I don't know. If something happened to me right now, Jim, I just don't know. But you want to know? Jesus is waiting and his angels are waiting with arms open wide to create a relationship with you that even on your best day and your worst day, say, Abba, Father. If that's you this morning, you, you want to do that, we're not going to embarrass you, but I would love for you to just hold your hand up. All the eyes and everybody's heads are bowed in this place. So it's not embarrassing. It's nothing to be embarrassed about anyway. Never really totally understand that. But if that's you this morning, you just say, hey, I want to know. I just want to know. Just raise your hand in this place. listening. For those of you that raised your hand this morning, I just want you to do something. I just want you to, everybody in this place, just pray this prayer with me. Father God, thank you for showing me that I need a Savior. And Father, thank you in this moment for doing that for saving me. God, I repent of the things I did in my past and I put them in your hands and say, you hold my future, God. And here I am, I surrender all that I am to you. Abba, Father, I am yours. If you would just do me something, would you just give a hand clap for those who prayed that prayer this morning? And let's celebrate like the angels in heaven are celebrating right now for those who prayed that prayer.